Hi, I'm Heather. I'm Haley. And we're the Whodunit Sisters, a true crime podcast. This episode is on the death of Charles Simone, and this is what we know. On Saturday, February 20th, 2021, first responders were dispatched to a home for a possible sudden death. The caller, the victim's 14-year-old son, claimed to have just checked on his dad and found him unconscious. When the EMTs arrived, they knew immediately there was nothing they could do. Maybe if they had been called days ago, but 53-year-old Charles Simone had been lying on his living room couch dead for days. And the son who just found him has been living in the home with him? Yes. And it's an open living room. There's no door to it. It's an open archway. So to leave the house, you are passing by the living room. The doorway. Yes. Charlie met his wife, his future wife, in 2002. Mm -hmm. They married in 2006. They had a son. And five years later, they get divorced. Now, according to family, friends, and police reports, the relationship Charlie has with his ex-wife is considered tumultuous. Volatile. Volatile. Toxic. The ex-wife has a pattern of filing false police reports on Charlie. And the reports are all the same. She gets mad. She tries to hit or stab him. Police are called. And... She says he hit her, but there's always a witness, and the witness always says Charlie did nothing. During the... the during the fight. During the marriage. Yes, oh, and after the marriage. And after the marriage, this would go on. I'll give you an example. In 2014, Charlie's ex-wife is living with him, and the ex-wife has a friend come over, and Charlie has to go to work early the next morning, so he goes to bed. And at 5 a.m., he's woken up by a loud noise, and he goes into the living room, and the ex-wife and the friend had been drinking all night long. And he says to the ex-wife's friend, hey, you need to leave, because I need need sleep. And the ex-wife gets mad. And she tries to stab Charlie. And then the ex-wife calls the police and says, he hit me, so please come out. The ex-wife's friend says, Charlie did nothing, luckily. Which is good, because most, I don't know what most friends would do. I think most friends would back me up. Well, the ex-wife, she was belligerent and uncontrollable, so the police ended up taking her out of the home, Mm -hmm. and she stayed all night at the police station. And the next evening, the Department of Children and Families came to Charlie's home, and they questioned Charlie and his son and wanted to know, did they feel safe with the ex-wife coming back into the home? Another example is in August of 2015, the ex-wife is going to the home, Charlie's home, to pick up the son. Mm -hmm. And she found out that her, the place that she worked went out of business. And so she was losing her job. She lost her job. So she goes over to Charlie's house and takes her anger out on him. She hits him with a chair. She tries to stab him. And the ex-wife is arrested and convicted of assault and battery. So these are just two examples of her doing this throughout the years. I find amazing how a person could make up allegations when there is another witness. Because they're usually hoping, and depending on who the witness is, if it's my friend, I would assume that you're going to go with whatever I say. But luckily that friend had morals and, and was able to agree with whatever she was doing and saying or whatever. Right. 
Well, it's just, it's unfortunate with all these allegations, all this documentation of all these things that the ex-wife had put Charlie through, that none of this was ever brought into consideration when they were investigating his death. But what's ironic is that when the police interviewed the ex-wife, which was 15 months after his death, she told police that the relationship she had with Charlie was very good and that he was her best friend. Oh. Like, what? Do you try to stab your best friend? I don't understand why you keep letting her in the house. Well, it's because he didn't want the son to resent mm. him. Because there's also a pattern of, the ex of texts between the ex-wife and the son where she's manipulating the son against the husband. Mm -hmm. against the dad and this is witnessed also by friends mm -hmm. and an example would be the ex-wife told the son if the dad ever yelled at him to take his phone and record it and that the ex-wife would then take that video and turn it into dcf and then they would take the son away from charlie and then he could go and live with her yes i think that when charlie was given the opportunity to have if the ex-wife asked if she could live with him the ex that Charlie would say yes because he didn't want the son to resent him. So it's important to, for everyone to know that Charlie owned the house that he was living in. Mm -hmm. And it was paid off. And it was worth just under a million dollars. And Charlie lived on the second floor. And he rented out the first floor. And the people who had lived there had been living there, had been renting it for over 25 years. And Charlie's son lived with him on the second floor at the time of Charlie's death. And the ex-wife had been renting a bedroom in an apartment in the town over. And she didn't like that cramped position, the cramped living condition that she was in. And so she repeatedly asked Charlie if she could move back in with him. And he kept telling her no. But six months before he died, he finally said yes. And it's because he didn't want the son to resent him by not helping out the mom. So six months before he died, the ex-wife was then renting out the third floor. What's also important to know is that a couple years prior to this, Charlie had rotator cuff surgery on his shoulder. And so because of that, he couldn't lay flat. So he started sleeping on his couch in the living room to keep him propped up. So basically the living room on the second floor became his makeshift bedroom, mm -hmm. which again, you can see. And it's also important to know that he had severe sleep apnea. So he snored. It's described as very loud snoring. Mm -hmm. And he had to wear a CPAP mask. On Saturday, February 13th, 2021, Charlie's ex-wife traveled out of town for the week to visit her boyfriend. According to her police report, she last spoke to Charlie on the phone on the afternoon of Tuesday, February 16th. According to police reports, that is the same day Charlie's son last saw his dad alive. The son stated he had been in his room the entire time from Tuesday up until that day. When the son would get hungry, he'd cook. He had a friend come over once, but there was never a concern during that whole time that his father was anything other than sleeping. He's saying he never left his room? Yes. Which still doesn't make sense, though. So we know this isn't true because... Is there a restroom in his room? No, there's no restroom so in his that room. He left his room. He left his room. He had to cook. He had to pee. He had to go to the bathroom. Maybe he showered. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But, and again, he's seeing his dad in the same clothes. So 
for four days in the same exact position with his arm okay, hanging so, on the so floor. So, assuming if I'm like saying like the son is right, you know, what would there's no conversation between the dad and the son ever for four days. He never just never peeked in on him. If, if it's if it's the way he, he peeked says, in, okay, did he? Well, his story his story changes. Okay, sorry. But but the first time, no. I mean, obviously. Okay. Uh, he thinks he's okay. sleeping. So he's just sleeping and he leaves him alone. He so thinks no, he's sleeping so and leaving him alone. Okay. Nothing for four days. All right. But we know he left the house on Wednesday. We know he left it. He went to get something to eat. He forgot his keys. He allegedly rang the doorbell. Dad didn't answer. So he rings the first floor tenant's doorbell. They let him in and mm -hmm. they said, according to his footprint, footsteps, they could tell he went up the stairs and just passed by the living room. They could tell he did not stop to see why didn't my dad open the door. Okay, yeah, which is weird. Because he didn't answer the door. And we know that at some point also during that week, he had a friend come over. So again, he's going by the living room because they had to come in. Okay. The only thing is, though, 14 years, years if he knew, if he knew he was dead, would he really ring the doorbell? Or was he playing it off? I thought, I think it's allegedly. In my opinion, he allegedly rang the doorbell. He forgot his keys oh. and couldn't get in. On Saturday, February 20th, at around 11 a.m., 911 was called. When paramedics arrived, they were immediately caught off guard. They were dispatched to a sudden death call and found a man lying on the couch, his right arm dangling to the ground, purple from decomposition. As they moved closer, they noticed a post-mortem purge leaking from his mouth. The EMTs, following protocol, lowered Charlie's body to the floor, which was stiff from rigor mortis. In the process of moving him, a section of skin on Charlie's wrist peeled off, and they noted Charlie's fingers and toes were black and showed signs of decay. This was obviously way beyond medical intervention, and the EMTs left. Additional police and crime scene detectives were called to the scene. As they looked around the room, they made note of a CPAP machine, inhaler, and an empty bottle of Gatorade on the coffee table. Charlie's cell phone was found on the dining room table. He was last known to have used his phone on Tuesday afternoon when he spoke with his ex-wife. Police pulled Charlie's son into the kitchen and began interviewing him. According to the police reports, the son said he had been in his bedroom that entire week from Tuesday up until that morning when he called 911. He stated he had occasionally peeked in to check on his dad, but believed he was sleeping. And the son went on to say that Charlie used a CPAP mask when sleeping. Okay, Charlie is not found wearing his mask. So this whole time he thinks his dad's sleeping, he's never wearing the mask. And if he says he peeked in on him, obviously he never changed position, never changed clothes, didn't have a CPAP. And if your arm's dangling over and your arm's dangling over like a day later... You constantly yeah, and then Wednesday know. and then Thursday and Friday yeah but I would think if you would see somebody laying there in the exact same position in the exact same clothes who you know s snores and when they're supposed to be sleeping would be wearing a CPAP mask 
and none of that's going on, that that would be very weird. So the police find out the son's a minor, and so they have, you know, Charlie's son calls the aunt and uncle, and they come over. And Charlie's sister brings to the police attention about the false DCF and the police report claims. Mm -hmm. She wanted the police to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. And then they went to find Charlie's son because they couldn't see him. They found him on the third floor in the mom's room playing video games. Okay, so when the police and the EMT, when they arrive, the, the kid is upstairs? No, he's down there, but then once they talk to him, he went upstairs and started playing video games. And then the aunt and uncle show up, and they couldn't find him, and that's where they found him. They didn't know where he was. Mm. They find him upstairs playing video games, and the first thing he says to them is, I haven't been eating anything out of the main fridge. I've been eating salads out of my mom's mini fridge on the third floor. And then he says to them, who's getting the house? And they're like, okay, we'll talk about it. At this point, the police want the family to come back down and they want to talk to them again. Mm-hmm. Now, the first thing Charlie's son says again is, who is going to have possession of the house again? And he's told not to worry about it. And that's when they ask him again, what happened? Now, this time, according to police reports, the son told police that he had kept to himself only coming to the second floor to cook and to join Zoom classes. Now, we know that there was no school going on at that time. There was no Zoom classes to be in. And this is, so this is a complete contradiction for him saying that he stayed in his room the whole week. And it's learned that he's, he's been sleeping on the third floor. Mm-hmm. And that's completely out of character. He's always stayed in his own room. But that week, he's saying that he slept on his, in his mom's room on the third floor. And that's where he kept his video games is in his mom's room? That's I don't weird. know. Okay. Or he moved him up there. Either way, I, I, in my opinion, he's just completely trying to distance himself from Distance being anywhere on, on the mm-hmm. second floor. I, I haven't been under the second floor. I don't know anything about the second floor. Why? Why don't you know anything about the second floor? Which actually circles back to the ex-wife being out of town for the week. She says she's visiting her boyfriend. The ex-wife worked as like a DoorDash or Uber Eats type of delivery job, and she continued doing that while out of town. And in her police statement, which taken 15 months after Charlie's death, she says she made food deliveries while out of town visiting her boyfriend so she could continue making money instead of taking the entire week off from work. But not before stocking up her mini fridge with salads. I mean, did she know her son was going to be staying in her room? After the police leave, he again brings up who the ownership of the home. And asks if his mom... To the aunt and uncle? Yes. He asks if his mom can have the house. And they basically, the aunt and uncle were like, you know, we're going to talk about this later. We need to go tell Charlie's dad what happened. Mm Because they need to notify the dad. And then the son says he's going to invite a friend over to hang out. Now that night, the sister's husband calls the ex-wife. Because he wants to make sure that she made it back into town. Because she hasn't been out of town. And she says to him, this is my home. I don't know if you realize that I've been living here. So the brother-in-law just reiterated the only reason he was calling her is because he just wanted to make sure the son was not by himself. Immediately following Charlie's death, the ex-wife began purging the house of his belongings, and she starts buying expensive household items and furniture. 
And then she tells the sister that she went to City Hall to look up ownership of the house to see whose name the house is in. Mm -hmm. And that she finds that there's an LLC at that address. If she wanted to know if the sister knew what that meant. It's like they're so obsessed with ownership of the home. They're just not letting it go. The sister had met with the funeral director. And before he had said that there could be an open casket. But... Actually, the funeral director got a hold of the sister and said, you know what, he is too decomposed. We're going to have to have a closed casket. The ex-wife then apologizes to Charlie's sister for all the trouble that she's caused to her throughout the years and thanked her for all the help she did. And she wanted to start fresh and work together as a family. Hmm. The morning after the funeral, Charlie's sister texted the nephew and said that a relative was going to drop off cookies. And the nephew texted back, my mom wants Charlie's cell phone and his, his car keys. And so the sister calls and she says, okay, I'll bring them by. But you know what, you know, since I'm coming over, let's go ahead and start going through some paperwork. Let's start getting things into order. Mm-hmm. And the ex-wife says she doesn't want their help. She's getting an attorney. She's going to do everything on her own. And then she mentions that... She believed that Charlie had been sick for some time, that he had been hiding it, and that that is why he asked her to move back into the house, was to take care of him and to take care of everything. Now, according to Charlie's medical records, he had last been to the doctor one month before he died, Mm -hmm. and he he wasn't sick. Uh, There was no need for someone to come into the home and take care of him and to look after him. And the sister was his medical proxy, and so she would have been aware also of any medical concerns. Do we know why he went there a month prior? It was a well check. Oh, just a normal thing. It was a well check visit, yes. Nothing was wrong with him, apparently. No, nothing, no. There was no concern about anything happening, no. So there was a complete turnaround of everything. The ex-wife had said she wanted to work together as a family, but once the funeral happened, it was, I got an attorney. I don't want your help. Uh, he asked me to move in, and I was I, he was sick. He was hiding it. All these things. <laughs> Three months after Charlie's death, the medical examiner's report was released. Charlie's death was ruled as an accident from acute intoxication caused by the combined effects of alcohol and chlorodiazepoxide. Chlorodiazepoxide, also known as Librium, is a sedative that is used to treat anxiety, insomnia, and the withdrawals from alcohol. It is an older drug typically used in hospital settings and is specifically not used for someone with sleep apnea. Librium needs to be closely monitored. Charlie was not prescribed Librium. Librium was not found in his home. According to his toxology report, an anticoagulant poisoning panel found seven compounds in his blood. Five of those compounds are used in pesticides and rodenticides, along with high levels of arsenic and lead. Despite these findings, Charlie's death was ruled an accident and closed. So do do we know why he was taking... He was not prescribed Librium. There was no Librium found in the home. Okay. So I don't know how Librium got in his body. Okay. But they never said how all that crap can get into his system? No. I mean, rat poison is one example, but when the crime scene detectives were there, there's no mention of rat poison. 
There's no mention of Librium. There's no mention of whether or not when they went through the fridge and they found Gatorades, were they opened and tampered with? I mean, these are all really good questions. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would think that it's possible that those Gatorade bottles could have been opened up and Librium could have been poured in it. Maybe a little rat poison in there, too. I don't know. These are just assumptions on my part. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying it could have happened. And then, though, also, you said when the boy said he didn't eat or drink anything out of that fridge, I, what was the man eating out of that fridge that, you know? And why aren't you eating out of it? Why are you making a point of saying that you're not eating out of that fridge? Unless, do you know that things have been tampered with? That is how I take it. And then you mentioned that there's a CPAP machine and then the empty Gatorade bottle next to him, and that was never. There was collected. never test. It was no, no. It doesn't say in their police report it was. There's no mention of fingerprints or tampering or what was in the. Because what, it was all an accident. They had no idea why he died. Yeah, that's something I mean, that we have rules. to remember. It was ruled an accident, but at that time when they showed up. They did not know how he died, but they knew he had been dead there for days. And See, that know. is weird. I don't know. I'm not a cop, obviously, but I don't know their, how they handle things from the get-go. If they come in and it's an obvious sign of whatever, does that mean they don't collect or don't try? No. To in Massachusetts, a sudden death, you bring in crime scene, and crime scene was brought in. However... Crime scene took photographs. Crime scene did not, according to the reports, make a note of what was in the trash, what was in the fridge, were things tampered with, were the Gatorades checked. There's no mention, they looked around, but there's no mention of Librium. He died from Librium poisoning with the combined with alcohol. Well, there's no mention of Librium in the house. Where did he get the Librium? Somebody, tamp somebody put the Librium in there. We had a medical examiner look, give a second opinion who's unrelated to this case. And this medical examiner... A medical examiner that you know? Yes. Okay, sorry. I asked her to look okay. into this. And according to her, she looked over the case reports. She says she understands why we have suspicion. And she finds the rulings ambiguous. And for this and other reasons, we are asking for Charlie's case to be reopened by the, by the police. And there is a $5,000 reward for information that leads to the reopening of Charlie's case. Okay, so now, um, they're both living in the home. Did we ever find out who, mm -hmm. who the own home went to? It's being held for the son when he turns, he's still a okay. minor. So it was given to the son and the mom is living there. Yes, they're both still living in that home, yes. Interesting. So if you know anything, please come forward, please call, and let them know. Because there's just a lot of questions. I could think of a million, yeah. And I can give a million reasons why I think that somebody would possibly want him dead. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank, thank. you. Thanks, Thanks for, for watching. watching.